Hello and welcome to Unsoreswa. My name is Elvis and as always, I am your host. Okay, so this is going to be kind of a short one. As I've said, we're going to be getting a lot less runtime now that things are finishing and finales are occurring. So let's just get right on into it. There is a breadth of movie news this week. So let's just dive on in. The first thing is that I'm just glad to say that apparently Michelle Williams is going to be returning for Venom 2, which is great because I really liked Anne Weying in the first one. I thought that the movie is a mess. It's chaotic, but it's also really fun and the characters are really entertaining and they had great chemistry and all that amazing stuff you want to see with something that maybe isn't going really that well plot-wise, but you just are so so entertained by the people in it and Michelle Williams and their relationship with both Tom Hardy's Eddie and Dr. Dan I thought well they were a very vital part to making that movie as entertaining and as enjoyable as it was so I'm glad that she's returning there were some rumors before that she's gonna be written out of the movie in order to have I think like Black Cat or something be Eddie's love interest which I could have seen happen so I'm glad that's not the case or at least if that's like a half truth then at least they're not going to be sort of sidelining her character to make that happen so fingers crossed for that i can't wait for that apparently there's more venom 2 news in that we do have confirmation that andy circus is going to be directing that movie he's only directed one movie before which was an adaptation of uh, the jungle book that went straight to netflix i haven't seen it i hear very mixed things about it but i just wish him the best i'm not quite sure how this is going to turn out but i hope he does a good job and that he's able to steady the ship and that he's able to hold it together as well as ruben fleischer did he's going to have help though because apparently for some reason tom hardy is going to be co-writing the script which is insanity don't know if that's going to turn out well. I think that Tom Hardy has a very definite passion for the role. If anyone's going to be bringing over the same atmosphere that this movie needs, that the first movie did have, it's going to be Tom Hardy. So I can't wait to see more of that. I hope that really does develop well. We also have the unfortunate news that Del Toro said that he is done making superhero movies and comic movies, which means that definitively Justice League Dark or Heaven Sent is dead. And it's a shame because like DC had someone who could handle the script who knew what these characters are meant to represent and the tone they're meant to have and a director that would be able to actually you know bring that to fruition and did nothing with it so it's a shame I hope that he can reconsider because apparently in his statement about this he said that he was very excited for just Lee Dark and if it ever does like resurface I hope he can come back I really do because there's no one else that could be able to handle that and lastly in movie news we have Jim Lee defining some more of the differences between DC Universe which is going to be staying and the Warner Media streaming service called HBO Max. DC Universe is going to be staying at its lower price range, but it's going to be a very niche thing simply for comics and a comic community. And I can see why. I can see the reasoning for that, mainly because DC Universe has the digital comic book reading component to it. And the forums that, well, are shaky, but they exist and they're there for a reason. And I can't see how that would be able to be merged into HBO Max with any kind of efficiency. So I can understand the reasoning that like, well, we don't want to cut off that revenue stream, so we're going to keep it running. But I do expect at some point for the DC Universe original television and movie slates to completely be subsided into HBO Max. And then, you know, just having DC Universe as only the place for digital comics. Because there's no other way this could ever pan out in a way that makes any kind of logical, rational sense. So fingers crossed for that. It's a shame, but at least it's still running for now.
Moving on to TV news, we have the first look of season two of Titans. It's not really that inspiring. Half of the first look is just a really nonsensical recap of the first season. And then we get like a montage of some new stuff, which does look kind of impressive. I think that things that are the highlights would be Jason Todd as Robin. He steals the show in like the two or three shots he gets. He has the same exact kind of presence he had in the first season, which was very overbearing, but endearingly so. Very expressive very boisterous we see some more of the team which seems to be undergoing kind of a soft reboot if anyone else hasn't heard the first two episodes or like the first episode of season two was actually meant to be the season finale of season one so i'm wondering how it's going to shake out because it kind of seems like that's going to be taken care of entirely within that first or second episode of this season and then completely be you know revamped in some way because they're really trying to hammer in that this is a brand new team this is a brand new mission this is a brand new sort of set of dynamics which is okay but I just feel like why if you're gonna do this did you push out a couple episodes if you're gonna you know try to do a soft reboot thing we're like we're the new Teen Titans it just makes no sense to me but hopefully we'll get a lot more structure as we go along a lot of things do look great we do see some more dynamics as I say with the team we do see some more team members we see larger more expansive battles I think the thing that people have been looking forward to the most has been the Deathstroke family and we do see Ravager and I think we see either Grant which people are speculating or Deathstroke himself I think people are saying that that doesn't really look like Esai Morales's body type and I have to agree no disrespect to S.I. Morales, but that doesn't look like him at all, even with a suit. It could be Grant. We do see Aqualad. We do see Wonder Girl. We see the entire sort of OG psychic lineup, and it's great. I hope against hope that it's going to be a better season that's going to actually I guess flourish and blossom from where it could be, from where it was into what it should be, and I hope that it doesn't let me down. For one piece of comic news this week, it is with a heavy heart that I have to report the unfortunate passing of Ernie Colon, who was a consummate artist, comic book editor, and all-around comic book creator, and best known around these parts as the co-creator of Amethyst of Gen World, which is the underrated classic, the original 12-issue Maxi series. You should definitely go out and read it. He has left behind a storied legacy from years and years of putting in the work in making all of the cogs and wheels behind comic book creation happen in his own way and throughout various positions in development. I have to say that it is really sad to see his passing and at least more people are becoming knowledgeable about what his role was, what he did, and the books and characters and stories he was able to help create and bring to fruition. And I just want to say rest in peace, Arnie Colon, and hopefully you will be remembered for the work you did and the influence you were able to seed out through your career. Rest in peace and thoughts and prayers to your surviving friends and family. Now we can get on to what I read this week. First off, the Green Lantern number 10. After the breather that was the annual, we get right back into the main action, picking up in the middle of this whole multiversal Green Lantern ordeal. And that's a pretty solid issue. Really though, it's yet another setup issue, much like number 9 was, which is fine. I don't mind that, especially as we head into what seems to be the meat of this conclusive chunk of final issues for this season. But it does make me a bit wary. Each issue has had a lot to offer, and this follows suit, but it makes it feel like it's definitely waiting more to be read in one go than as individual presences or issues. Something that some of the highlight first issues of this run excelled at. Then again, it's still a packed issue with a huge amount of entertaining moments. So if only more decompression felt like this, then maybe the big two comics that we do get would be in a better place. The strengths of this issue are, at the very least, a lot more spread around this time than with number 9. In that issue, it definitely felt like more of an art issue, very art-focused, while this one gives Morrison and Sharp each their time to shine and show how well the collaboration actually is formed. 
performing. Morrison goes full throttle with the breadth and variety of ideas to really make use of this whole plot conceit. So we get some very lavish showcasing of like the hippie lantern, bat lantern, flashlight. It doesn't dovetail as neatly into multiversity as some might have hoped, but it captures the same raucous and off the wall sensibility aimed for in having such a sporadic cast of alternate versions. At times it can seem a bit flimsily thrown together, but it aims high and it's able to weather through the storm through sheer ambition. Such as with several pages of intensely Kirby-esque background designs. By that I mean the collage slash mosaic style variant. It's maybe a bit dense but it's fun all around and I hope we start seeing some more of the forward thrust as we head into the final two issues. Just for something to really get a grip on and engage with because I think that's been kind of lacking. The characters are fun, the ideas are fun, but I'm not really invested yet as much as I have been with say some of the more character focused issues. I think that there's a little bit something here. Hopefully that'll shake out once we get into the more headier conflict here. So fingers crossed for that. Fun issue, great set pieces, great designs, great pages, lavish art. Really can't be any more happier than this, but still overall, one thumb up, one thumb middle. Next up, it's a bit of a short week, so we have the Immortal Hulk number 22 in what has to be one of the most packed issues in terms of character building beats that this series has had in a while. Sure, the series has had very deafy and definite character beats, but this really does spread them all around. I don't think there's a character in this issue, a main character I mean, that doesn't get some more exploration or dimension via some pretty hard hitting, if practically done, little scenes. You get an extension of what happened with Fordian, you get a lot more dynamics going on with the Gamma Force, more Joe Fixit, more of that reporter and Betty. Oh man, oh Betty. She has this added tick now that opens up a whole new arena of possibilities for how she, Bruce, and the Hulks interact. And to put the cherry on top, we finally get one good solid moment between Rick and Bruce. That's all I've been waiting for since this run began and started hinting that Rick was going to come into play. And it was pretty damn hefty for as minute as it was. It's literally just Rick mentioning that he's burdened with the memories of being tortured and experimented on and Bruce's eyes immediately turning green. The eyes turning is always a powerful cliche when done right and it was done right here. It's still a setup issue but what it sets up is actually pretty damn exciting. I still think that the abomination was done pretty dirty in this run but with the added character building for Fordian in the previous issue and the really personal stakes given to Bruce in this one, I am hyped. I hope it doesn't come off as whimpering as the last confrontation did and I feel like I should expand on Betty a bit more here because she really is just maybe one of the standout characters if not the standout character of this entire run because her using Harpy as a defense mechanism either voluntarily or involuntarily against whatever trauma she has with Bruce is perfect. It's brilliant. It's maybe Ewing's best idea in this issue. And Red Harpy herself is just a masterstroke of re-envisioning a character and their mythology and what they've been through. So I love it. I can't say any more high praises about it. If this kind of momentum and energy can stick on for the next few issues, up to like number 25, which is meant to be a big landmark issue, then I'll be 100% back on board. Two thumbs up. Okay, and so now we can move on into what I watched this week. First, we have Legion Season 3, Episode 7, the penultimate episode. And, well, for what it is, it's maybe not as, I guess, engaging or as deafy or as memorable as the previous episode, which was the entire sideways character piece, character focus episode on Sid. But it's still pretty entertaining, and I think that it does a good job trying to, I guess, glom together the entire themes that this season was dealing with into one narrative whole 
whole as it sort of tries to you know get the conflict going i have to say though it's kind of lackluster because it does play with a lot of very standard predictable tricks and tropes but it's still entertaining i think that if anything it's maybe one of the most entertaining standard episodes this series has had but it's still just very i guess by the numbers and very ordinary because by this point we have a very certain and very focused grasp on who these characters are what they want and what they're doing and nothing is really shaking the boat here we just get more of that what the episode does it is really great at showing these characters i guess really coming together because then you have so many great things like you have sid realizing the parallels between herself david and his father david and his mother herself and david's mother because they head on into his childhood home so you have that very much nature versus nurture development and argument and it's really great it's really great very very heartening stuff but it's just it's very slow it's a very talky episode and maybe i was expecting a little bit more a bit something experimental but to keep on going with what dynamics we have going on here we finally get professor x and legion talking together and meeting and it is wonderful because like i said just like with sid and his mother we see a lot of what makes professor x and his son both similar but also very distinct and we see why they clash heads but we see exactly what makes them unique and the only people who understand each other and alongside with that we have the past shadow king just completely running roughshod over everyone i think that this has made me a lot more appreciative of the actor playing the shadow king and and the Shadow King as a character himself since we've gotten him as a fully fleshed actual part of the series since season two because I always thought he came off a bit stiff he came off a bit too stuffy he wasn't really that engaging or interesting as he was as an enigmatic sort of demonic presence in the first season in this one we actually see that actor give it a little bit more life and it's that life it's that sort of geniality it's that very sort of amiability it's that shocking comparison to where he is now that I guess gives me a little bit more unease and they play along with where he's meant to be his inner soul his mental projection of himself and the juxtaposition between that between him and the yellow-eyed demon which is done very very well is honestly shocking so I had a great time with that I thought that was probably one of the better character turns in this season and in this episode. But other than that, it just feels like, okay, we need to end this. So we're just going to sort of filter everything into uh, confrontation. So what this episode sets up is that we have Legion, David, Professor X teaming up against the Shadow King. We have Shadow King meeting old future Shadow King. We have Sid trying to protect baby David from both anyone else who's trying to kill baby David, but also the time demons. We have a whole bunch and it all seems to be sort of culminating together. I hope that the final episode was able to do this justice it does seem like either it's going to be very very simple very very quick or it's going to be a little bit maybe too ambitious hopefully it can strike a really solid chord and not kind of fumble the bag here it's a really entertaining episode if you enjoy these characters if you enjoyed the plot of this show but that wasn't really what you're being drawn to this series for i.e the more ambitious visuals or sort of storytelling then it's going to feel a bit lacking but overall once i'm middle once i'm up and lastly, we have Krypton Season 2, Episode 9, called Blood Moon. And this was very much like Legion, a very by-the-numbers, by-the-books episode, very standard. And I think that I can barely pinpoint why this is lacking in comparison to Season 1. Because at this point, Season 1 had really sort of broken expectations. This is lying right in line with expectations. While Season 1, we have more of like a soap opera setup focused on character drama rather than action. But then we have those two colliding. Everything concerning Nyssa kind of started centering around her coming to terms with both her feelings for Seg, but also for her son. And so during the siege on Kandor by Brainiac, she totally runs roughshod, shoots 
dude's Brainiac's host kind of melodramatic, but she sells it. This is just battle scene, battle scene, battle scene, slow motion, cool action, and it falls flat. It really does. It's boring. There's not really much going on here other than, oh, I guess the characters, well, they're very solid characters. But here's an action scene that goes on for like 10 minutes. There's nothing really here to engage with other than them being characters we've enjoyed so far. Like, oh, we should have a heroic sacrifice here. And it just doesn't work. It really doesn't. I still like these characters. I still like where they're going. And like I said before, I think that Lyda coming back does have some really great dynamics now. I think that she slots in, like I said, very perfectly. I still enjoy Nyssa more. In fact, Nyssa has one great moment here that does explain why she just goes charging through into like the battlefield. And I think that is maybe the most season one-esque moment of the entire season, but it just isn't enough to hold water. It really isn't. I'm a bit disappointed. I hope that the season finale is able to, you know, rank it up a bit more, but it's just not there. It's very middling. It's very mediocre. And I wish I could be surprised by it because season one was very surprising. You saw a lot of things going on. You saw a lot of reactions to it. And this is just like, well, what do we do about Doomsday? Run away and have a fight scene. And that's the entire episode. It goes on for an hour, but that's really all that happens. There's nothing really going on in terms of the characters, other than, of course, one heroic sacrifice, which could be kind of funny if we hadn't already wasted like 40 minutes and we're already dead asleep at this point. So overall, two thumbs middle. And anyway, that's it for what I watched this week. There are no listener questions this week. And as always, I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who's ever sent in a question, comment, or topic. You can always find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N if you want to send in your own. I'm so grateful. I'm so humbled. It's amazing. And I have so much fun answering any of the ones that get sent in. So thank you so much. I also want to give a shout out to the cover artists for this show at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E. Check them out. Give them a follow. They really deserve it. And as always, thank you for listening. I hope you had a great week and see you again next time.